it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's the best way to get started in the market? Download Andrew's ebook for free at stockmarketpdf.com. I love this podcast because it crushes your dreams of getting rich quick. They actually got me into reading stats for anything. You're tuned in to the Investing for Beginners podcast. Led by Andrew Sather and Dave Ahern. Step-by-step premium investing guidance for beginners. Your path to financial freedom starts now. Starts now. All right, folks, welcome to Investing for Beginners podcast. Tonight, we have episode 203. Tonight, we are going to answer some listener questions, and I'm going to go ahead and start with the first question. So I have, hi, Andrew. I'm a newbie in the investing world and also trying to gain control of my finances. I stumbled across an old 401k from a job years ago, and I'm wondering if it's a good idea to withdraw that money to pay off some debt. It's not a substantial amount of money in a 401k, only $8,000. After taxes, I'll be getting around 6000 to help pay off my debt. Would you advise this or should I leave it alone? Everywhere I read says to never dip into retirement, but since it's an old 401k and I now have a pension along with a growing 401k that my company matches, I'm feeling eager to take this money out. I appreciate any advice you can give me. Thank you, Darlene. Andrew, what are your thoughts on Darlene's really good question? Yeah, Darlene, I totally get the desire to want to pay off some debt and get out of that hole and does make sense when you have a pile of cash somewhere or money that you can access in an account to be able to throw that to debt. I know with the 401ks though, there are a couple things to keep in mind. If you are withdrawing from a 401k before you're 59 and a half, you're going to get an early withdrawal fee. So that's something like 10%. You know, as of we are recording this right now, 2021, it's a 10% fee. You also will have to pay taxes and you're going to want to make sure based on where your tax bracket is and then kind of weigh all of that together, right? What's the interest rate on the debt you're paying off? And after you take off the early withdrawal fee and the taxes, or does it make sense? I know debt's very emotional and been there, so I know. But if the numbers don't work out, sometimes you just kind of 
got to just do what's right with the numbers rather than doing what might feel better. Yeah. And then there's also the impact of the potential loss down the road of that $8,000 being added to your current 401k or your current retirement plan, because that's a good chunk of money and put in the right place, whether it's an index fund or whether it's individual companies could bear a lot of fruit for you 10, 15, 20 years down the road. And if the debt is less than that, there may be an opportunity for you to set up some sort of payment plan to help pay that down quicker as well. And maybe you could, this is just an idea, instead of using the money to pay down your debt, you maybe reduce some of your income going into your 401k for a short time and use that to pay down the debt quicker. So there's other options available to you. And I guess doing the math, reducing your $8,000 balance to 6,000, that is what, help me out here. What is the math on that? So that's what 2,000 out of, it's about a 25% hit to your total, correct? Three divided by four. Yeah, that's exactly 25%. Good job. Okay. Well, thanks. <laughs> I did that all in my head, all without a calculator. <laughs> my math teachers in high school would be proud. Well, everybody in the 21st century is proud of you. Yeah. <laughs> that I could do it in my head without my phone. Uh, yeah. Yeah. On the spot. So anyway, getting back to the 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 question at hand, uh, 25% drawdown on a balance is extreme. So I, I guess my suggestion would be to consider other options, whether it's maybe reducing some of the money that you contribute towards your 401k. And I'm not talking about for years. I'm talking about maybe figuring out a way that you could, depending on what your financial situation is, of course, is figuring out a way to throw some money from it from your paycheck and then maybe reducing the amount that you put in your 401k. Let's say, just for example, let's say that you contribute $300 a paycheck to your 401k and you change that to $200 a paycheck. So now you have an extra $200 a month that you could throw towards paying off that debt. And maybe with a combination of the two, maybe you could pay down that debt in a year. And then after the year, you could turn around and go back to resuming what you were doing with your 401k contribution. Plus, you also have the the fact that you have another $8,000 that is now being used towards your retirement. So you're not really reducing the amount of money that you're paying out to pay down the debt, but you're actually adding to your retirement. You're still adding to your retirement but you're using the other funds to pay down the debt quicker. It, it's an idea. It, it would be worth you know investigating because if you take the $8,000 and you put it in an S&P 500 index fund, for example, you're going to earn, depending on where the market goes from now until maybe a year from now, you're looking at realistically another 16 to 18% probably if historical trends are stay true to form over the last few years. And that by no means is nothing to sneeze at. And it certainly would offset any sort of potential loss you might get from reducing your 401k contributions. That's something, I guess, to consider. What are your thoughts on that, Andrew? Yeah, I like that idea. Pretty creative, but there it doesn't always have to be all or nothing. What I like about old 401ks is how you can roll them over into IRAs. And so you get a lot more flexibility with that where 401ks, a lot of times you can only do mutual funds or maybe 
an ETF. Sometimes ETFs, but a lot of times there's mutual funds and you might not like the selections, but with an IRA, the world's your oyster and you got all these choices and you get that pile of cash that in other times you'd have to save a bunch of money for and, and here it is on your lap. So I I prefer flexibility, but at the same time, I sympathize with wanting to pay down the debt. So if the numbers work, but if they don't, maybe try to think otherwise. Yeah, that's a very good point. So for those of you out there that are not familiar with a, for, a rollover, could you explain that in simple terms? Sure. 401k, rollover, IRA. Yeah, all foreign. Basically, right. like this question from Darlene, she has an old 401k. So basically what you can do if you move jobs is you can move that over. And in the past, when it's with your old employer, it's under their umbrella. Once you change jobs, you can move it and put it under your own umbrella, if that makes sense. And so that's why it moves from a 401k, which is usually tied with an employer, to an IRA, which stands for Individual Retirement Account. And that one will go with you regardless of, of whether you got. Now, it's not if you have a 401k somewhere with your employer, it's not like it's not yours forever. I'm just saying that's the way the management of the accounts work. And you can't like always roll over. You have to wait for specific times if you have a new job, something like that. And so what the rollover is, is just taking that account, turning it into another account, but it's still your same money. It's just changing forms. Is there a, Are there fees involved in doing rollovers? I don't remember having to pay a fee. I did a rollover four or five years ago. It was a while, but any broker is happy to take your business so they shouldn't charge you a fee to roll over from another 401k. It's pretty simple. You just get on the phone with them and they help you through the process. You might have to fill out some paperwork, but it's reasonably it's not as it's not as bad as going to the dentist. I'll say (laughs) thank God. I guess a couple other quick questions with that. Do you have a choice of rolling it into a traditional or a Roth or is it only a traditional? From my understanding, you can do both, but if you roll over to the Roth, you have to have a, your 401k has to be a Roth 401k, which is an option in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. Um, if you could do from traditional to Roth, you'd have to pay the taxes on it. Right. So that makes it interesting because it's like, do I take the taxes out of this retirement account or do I pay the cash mm-hmm. to the IRS separately? Right. So. It's probably easier to go from to like, so go from a traditional IRA to a traditional IRA and likewise with a Roth. Yeah. And depending on your broker, they might not even offer it unless you do like for exactly. Yeah, those are great questions. Yeah. One, one thing that I, I did uh, learn when I worked at Wells Fargo was that not, so when, when I worked at Wells, they did not charge a fee to maintain your 401k after you left the company, but that's not always the case. So that I know that there are companies out there that will charge you fees to maintain your 401k after you've left the company. So if you are planning on leaving a company and you're not going to immediately take the money with you, that is something that is a question I would recommend you ask. You can call your investor relations for the company that you work for, and they will tell you whether they charge you anything to maintenance the 401k for you after you leave the company. So that's something to consider. Wow. So I wonder if they just like slowly sell. Really? Wow. 
Yeah. Uh, they'll just bleed it. Just bleed it dry. If it's a big, if it's a big chunk of money, it's going to take a while. Let's say it's a thousand dollars. It's not huge money, but it's still, it's your money. And if you forget about it over the course of five years, it, they could bleed it down to maybe 800 or $700. And that's kind of criminal. And that's why it's always recommended to try to take the 401k with you as soon as it's possible for you to do so that you, you know, don't lose track of the money too, because that can happen as well. I've seen that. I saw that happen at the bank where, you know, one of the family members passed away and they're the other the the spouse that's left behind was trying to go through all their finances and they discovered several 401ks at other companies that were never rolled into where the person was now and it, they were having a lot of difficulty trying to get access to that money because it was a lot of paperwork to to do that I think, yeah, and it's it sounds like a minor inconvenience, but it could be something that accumulates over time. When I first started investing, I remember not realizing that you could have, you could end up just collecting accounts like you collect uh, baseball cards or something. You know? <laughs> yeah. so if you're changing jobs a lot, sometimes that's the reality. So another benefit of rolling over is you can, if you already have an IRA with Fidelity and you roll over to Fidelity, you can have two accounts and you log in online and you just see the two accounts rather than having to juggle five different brokers. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So let's move on to the next question. So I have, hello, been listening to the podcast for a bit now. Really appreciate all your guys' insight. I had a question about Oatly and their current situation with investor fraud claims against them. Their stock has taken a hit. And if claims are true, I would imagine it would continue to drop further. In your podcast, you've mentioned not to be emotional with investments. Is this one of those cases or different as the price is dropping due to potential fraud? I did buy a few stocks in the beginning of the month before all of this. My question is, is it better to hold, not take the loss and wait for things to settle and the price potential to go back up or get out now before it tanks further? Any insight would be greatly appreciated. Thank you, Matthew. Andrew, what are your thoughts on the situation with Oatly? I'm curious to hear your first take first. My first take first. Okay. I, so here's what little I do know. So I read a brief description of what is actually going on with Oatly. So there is a investment firm that I believe is a company that shorts companies. So in other words, they bet against the company going down recently reported that Oatly had some accounting discrepancies, including revenue and accounts receivable. And really what they're getting at was that Oatly was fraudulently claiming revenue that they had not actually collected yet. In other words, they were saying that Oatly was recognizing revenue on their accounting statements that they haven't actually sold the products and collected money for yet. And that is a big no-no. And so some of the things that they were referencing were, I guess, the classic red flags that you would see in any sort of accounting shenanigans. So for those of you not familiar with Oatly, Oatly is one of the companies out there that produces milk from vegan sources. So in other words, this particular company, I believe, produces milk from oats. So therefore the name Oatly and they have other products as well. I'll be honest. I'm not super familiar with them, but I do know that they are from England and they've been around for a little while. And I think this was part of the huge, I guess, 
turn away from using cows for milk. And we had Jim Mellon on a while back and he was talking about the the dairy industry and, and some of the changes that were going on with that. And he was approaching it more from a production side and using the DNA from the cows and manufacturing the product as opposed to using alternative sources for creating the milk like Oatly does with oats and almond milk and other things. Anyway, all that to say, what would I do if I saw that a company was doing that stuff? Uh, I guess the first thing I would do would be to read through the financials and see if I see anything that is a red flag. Because sometimes these companies may report this as a way of manipulating the stock. Now, that's highly unethical, but it doesn't mean it doesn't happen. So I guess for me, I would do a little bit of due diligence before I actually made a decision. After I did the due diligence, then I would probably make the decision from there. If it was only if it, if it was only a few stocks, if it, this is a one percent position for me in my portfolio, for example, I would probably just write it out and wait and see what's actually going to come of this because it's not a big portion of my portfolio and it's I don't have a lot of resources and money tied up in this. However, if the flip side of that is, let's say I got 25% of my portfolio in this, and let's say it's, I don't know, I'll just throw something out of Facebook. And all of a sudden something comes out like this and it's Facebook and I have 25% of my portfolio. You bet your butt I'm doing my diligence. I'm reading everything I can possibly read about this. And I'm seriously considering cutting back my position until I have a better idea of what's going on. The other flip side of that is, let's say that there is nothing going wrong with Oatly or my example, and the stock does drop, then it also gives you an opportunity to buy into the company at a cheaper price. So there there could be a silver lining in this as well. So it's something to consider and think about, but I guess that's my those are my initial thoughts. I'm curious to hear what Andrew has to say after I've blathered about that. That's some good blather. Good job. Thanks. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I'd pay for vacations with whatever was in my wallet, but I was missing out on miles I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card worth more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet, finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. Budgeting was always a challenge for me. I struggled to find the best way to keep track of all of my money, not to mention all the time tracking down receipts, cataloging expenses, and trying to figure out what went wrong with my air quote system until Monarch Money. Monarch Money allowed me to easily see what is going on with my finances, helping me get a better handle on my spending, budgets, and more. It's my go-to app every day, more so than my bank, because I can quickly see where I am with my budgets and spending, allowing me to invest more and spend time on the things that I want to do. It's my GPS for money. Monarch is a top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all of your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. Create custom budgets, set goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. 
Unlike other personal finance apps, Monarch's simple, intuitive design makes it so easy to set up, customize, and use. Monarch has built-in features to collaborate with your partner, family, or financial advisor. Invite them to your account at no extra cost, and they'll get their own login info and a joint view of all of your finances. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. Change the layout of your dashboard, toggle between light and dark mode, create custom budgets and notifications, set up automatic rules for transactions and notifications, and more. In fact, Monarch Money is one of the first to bring you direct Apple Card, Apple Cash, and savings syncing with the latest iOS 17.4 update. Now you can sync your wallet directly for seamless budgeting. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's a top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash beginners. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash beginners for your extended 30-day free trial. I Okay, so I struggled finding their annual report. If they're not a U.S.-based company, then they're not going to do a 10K, but they should have an annual report. I went on their website and it just said they have a, a tab for annual reports and I clicked on it and it just said more annual reports coming soon. So I don't know if that means they used to have it filed and they took it down. They have other filings on there. I'm not doing a super deep dive on this company. I can't do that for every company. But I would echo what Dave said. And I would say, if you're looking through the annual report, a really key section would be to look at what do the auditors themselves say? So if you've never read an annual report right now, I'm about to go super deep into the weeds. So you can just completely tune me out. But there's a section in every annual report where you'll get you will get insight from the accounting firm that's doing the audit. So you think of some of the big accounting firms like KPMG, Deloitte, and Price Waterhouse. Young, Price Waterhouse. Yeah, yep. those guys. You would hope to see one of them because they're more the more credible. But sometimes a smaller accountant could be in there too, and they can do just as fine of a job. But what you'll see with the credible accounting firms is they will put in the paragraph and they will say they will say something like you have to read between the lines but they'll generally say something like this is this part of the annual report was different or i i, I guess I, i'm not I, I wrote a blog post on it and so that's probably explains it way better than i could on the podcast because i'm like hesitating to to use all the all this kind of accounting jargon but that would be a, a place to to look would be to look through the annual report and figure out what did the firm that did the audit, what did they have to say? And then secondly would be, what's the track record of this company? And what's the track record of management? A company like this, I look on their financials at QuickFS and they only have two years of financials posted. And so that's not much of a track record to go on. And so that makes me nervous. So it's tough. If, if you really have faith in, in a company, um, in a business, those are all great things. But if you're being misled as an investor, you only have to look as far as some of the other accounting frauds. Enron was a perfect example of that, right? And so you could be a big believer in everything Oatly does. Maybe you're a big believer in their brands and in their products. I'm not familiar with the company myself. Those could all be things. And for all we know, that could all live on and succeed very well. But that doesn't mean that the investors in the stock will not get hurt in the process. So you, you have a lot of companies that will go through this basically like a bankruptcy process where the company continues. And so Krispy Kreme could be an example of this where the company's still there. There's still restaurants out there. It's just the people who own the stock get wiped out. And so that's something that's the risk in, in owning stocks. 
is that even if a business survives, it doesn't mean your investment will. And it's accounting frauds like this or times when companies have negative earnings and then they run into a crunch where they can't make their bills. Those are the type of things that will wipe stock market investors out. And those are the exact things that we preach about that you want to avoid at all costs. What's the risk reward? The, the risk is I missed the rebound. The reward is I didn't get completely wiped out. Pretty good risk reward, huh? So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I hope that answers helps answer your question, Matthew. But I, I guess the bottom line is before you make a decision, try to do a little extra, little extra research, a little extra reading, and think about really what it is you want from this investment and what you think might be going on. And time is on your side. It's none of this is going to get resolved immediately. And it could take a while for this to, to play out. And it could just be nothing. It could end up to be nothing or it could be something serious. But if it's a smaller portion of your portfolio, I guess I wouldn't get too excited about it, but it could be a great learning experience to just experience some of the some of the ups and downs of what's going on with this. And it's exciting because it's a new company and it's a new, it's a new brand and it's got a lot of hype for sure. So it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out. Yep. Good points. I'm going to move on to this next question here. So this one's from professor, Dr. Frederico. He says, dear Andrew, I like your show and I started investing this year in stocks I am a long-term investor, and as you advocate, I do like to prioritize dividends and reinvest them. However, the value paid by dividends are small and probably allow me to buy a fraction of it. What do you recommend? One, reinvest in the same company, buying more shares no matter the share price. Two, pay out in cash, accumulate it, and try to find an opportunity to reinvest in the same or other company. I think the Drip King should tackle this because <laughs> I, I think I know the answer, but and probably a lot of you do too, but I want to hear the words. <laughs> Yeah, I hopefully the message gets across and hopefully it can inspire you to doing what's best for the portfolio. In my mind, it's always reinvest in the same company. And it's for several reasons. But basically, when you buy a stock, okay, you're going to get a certain dividend yield on that stock. So let's say I buy, uh, pick a company. Don't say Facebook because I don't pay a dividend, so we can't use it today. <laughs> no. How about, how about can't what? say Disney either? <laughs> no, I can't. How let's about say you we, buy Apple? Let's say no. Let's say we do Bank of America. Okay. Let's say you do Bank of America. You get like a nice two and a half, three percent yield, something like that. Let's say Bank of America doubles from here. The way that dividend yields and price work is the higher the price goes, the lower the yield because they're paying basically the same dividend amount. But as the price moves up or down, it's going to determine how much income you get from the dividend investment. If Bank of America doubles or triples from here, you're still getting that same 25 to 3% in income, even if the stock doubles, because when you bought it, when it was 25 3%. So... That's going to be true for the life that you hold the investment. So if I put 200 bucks into this thing and I'm getting 3%, that's going to be $6 to my account every year. When we buy dividend growing stocks, we want to buy them that continue to grow the business and they continue to grow the dividend payment every year. So that $6 might become $7, $8, $10. So that's continually growing while you're not moving it, you're not touching it at all. 
So I'm always in the camp of just dripping and, and keeping the dividends coming in the same investment that you always do. And so there's reasons behind it. What I really like is when you find really good businesses, it's really hard to find them sometimes and it's hard to find them at a good price. And so if you are able to do that, then you've pretty much hit it out of the park. And, and, and it's, you can ask any investor, it's hard to replicate that over and over again. So if you were to buy like a Coca-Cola or an Apple or one of these like Grand Slam businesses like Buffett has done, if it's a good investment, it's going to continue to go up and you're never going to be able to get in at that great deal that you used to be able to get in at. And so what those dividends that you've, you're reinvesting in this company is doing is it's giving you that that extra ownership of that business. And you're not going to be able to find that in other companies. And if you were to pick like 10 stocks and you had two that were like super big winners and the rest were just whatever, just average, it's those two big winners that are going to drive a huge part of your portfolio. And if you haven't been dripping in those stocks all along, then you're really just missing out on all of the compounding that would have happened from those great businesses because you decided to just put a fraction, a little bit more money in these tiny businesses. So drip works because you get small dividends that turn into small pieces of shares, which turn into huge amounts of money when a business doubles, triples, 10x, that small amount of a dividend doubles, triples, or goes 10x or more. You don't get that though if you're constantly taking small little dividends and moving them to different companies. Unless you are the most brilliant person we've ever seen and you're able to pick the best winning stock every single time you make an investment. Outside of that though, if you just stick to dripping the same stocks that you always do, the ones you keep the longest are going to accumulate the biggest amount of shares and they're going to continue to accumulate in the best businesses that you have. Because the best businesses you have are going to grow the most. They're going to become the most expensive. Guess why? Because they're the best businesses. So you just need a, even if it's a little bit, you're able to get in early. You're able to get in at a good price. You're probably able to get in at a good yield. So you're getting good income from it. Don't move it around. Just let it accumulate and grow within itself. And that's how you'll get, in my mind, better compounding than trying to shuffle these little dividends around. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. And I think that's the easiest and the best way. You've already done all the work, all the hard work to find that great company. And why wouldn't you want to put more money in back into that company and continue to to ride that horse to wherever it is you want to go? And that just makes the most sense. And Buffett often talks a lot about giving people a punch card with 20 holes that you can punch in the card and that would be the total amount of investments you could get with in your lifetime. And that's just picking the best of the best. And so imagine if you were like Andrew was talking about, you were picking other companies that maybe weren't doing so great. So you have this company that's doing awesome. It's giving you this dividend and then you turn around and you put it in another company that maybe doesn't do as well. Then that's now you've basically just shot yourself in the foot because you have that, you've taken away that opportunity cost of adding more to the company that's doing well. Imagine investing in a company like, I'll say, Costco, and whose ridiculous returns over the last 
30, 40 years. And part of a huge success for, of the wealth of somebody like Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett. And, getting the opportunity to keep reinvesting in that company after the one initial investment would be monstrously huge and would continue to pay you bad pun dividends far into the future, far better than taking that extra cash that Costco gives you to go out and find maybe a company not as good as Costco. So you have to consider the opportunity cost of trying to find that other company because uh, I'll say it, you know, sometimes we stumble in or get lucky and find a good company. And sometimes that's what it is. And if you got that great horse that's running awesome, then you just, you just want to keep riding that. And so I, I think that's, I would encourage you to consider the drip because reinvesting in a company is, is the, the way to go. Another point that Andrew was making that I, I'll pound on the sand a little bit more is the impact of stopping compounding in its tracks and starting it over again also in a way can set you back as well because the power of compounding is the continual adding to the pile because as the pile gets bigger it gets bigger by compounding and if you stop that then you have to start that sand pile over again it interrupts that flow and something charlie mugger always likes to say is the, the power of compounding you never want to stop it you don't ever want to stop it unnecessarily because that's really what he's getting at with what andrew was talking about earlier so i would highly encourage you to highly encourage you to reinvest in the same company and buy more shares no matter the share price all right, folks. Well, with that, we are going to wrap up our discussion for this evening. I wanted to take the time to thank everybody for taking the time to send us those great questions. Keep them coming. This is awesome. You guys asked some really good questions, and we appreciate you taking the time to send them to us. So we hope you guys get some value out of this. And if you do have any questions, please reach out to us and let us know we're here to help. So without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and sign us off. You guys go out there and invest with a margin of safety, emphasis on the safety. Have a great week. We'll talk to you on next week. We hope you enjoyed this content. Seven Steps to Understanding the Stock Market shows you precisely how to break down the numbers in an engaging and readable way with real-life examples. Get access today at stockmarketpdf.com. Until next time, have a prosperous day. The information contained is for general information and educational purposes only. It is not intended for a substitute for legal, commercial, and or financial advice from a licensed professional. Review our full disclaimer at einvestingforbeginners.com.